from the beginning till now to get to this week because it's so important. And today he leads us further along in the 10th chapter. And uh, we continue on with these stories. Last week it was a privilege to have John here and, and remind us of, of um, that just what's important in the text, what the emphasis is and how easy it is to get distracted by our curiosities sometimes in the text. And we miss the whole point because we'll focus on a little thing here and a little thing there, but try to stay with the main thing. Our text this morning comes from Mark 10, verses 46 to 52. But you need to hear how the section right before ends, we've talked about it. There was another section where Jesus uh, and the disciples are talking about who's the greatest. And then Jesus ends another section of that with James and John and says, whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And then he says this, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And it sets up our text this morning. Hear God's word. They came to Jericho, and as his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Barnabas, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly. I'm not sure I could do that. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. And said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he gained his sight and followed him on the way. Pray with me. God, may we gain sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Often when I preach, I think about uh, the structure of the sermon and how things fit. And this text is an interesting one because it fits a structure that I've used from time to time and appreciate quite a bit. And it it goes something like this, that, that the text, the Bible presents an alternative kingdom to the way things are. And then it presents um, the, the cost or the challenge of believing that alternative reality. And then there's an invitation to step into that reality. 
It's a good way to read the New Testament. It's a good way to read the Old Testament. What is the alternative reality being presented to a people that have many gods or no gods at all? What's the alternative viewpoint of the way the world is that the Bible is presenting? Anytime that Christians and preachers and others start to look just like the rest of everybody else, we've stopped listening to the gospel. We've stopped hearing this alternative to the way things are. Because if we go down the road of the way things are, it's a road of destruction. Not just for us personally, but for the whole world. So in this text, there is an alternative to the reality. Um, the way things are, um, I've shared with you before, we read about it in Ephesians, it's that idea of the principalities and powers of this present age. What are those? They're the things that dictate the rules of the way cultures live. It goes something like this. When my daughter was in first or second grade, we had a new church where um, we had started, and, um, and Chelsea was, uh, uh, there was a new kid that came to the Sunday school class, and she walked over to him and said, my dad's the pastor. She basically told him the rules of the way things were going to be and wanted him to know what the status quo was, what the reality was. Now, that was not a kingdom reality. It was more of a secular viewpoint, but she wanted to make sure this young man knew that her dad was in charge, so to speak. In our text, we have Bartimaeus. We've heard the story of blind Bartimaeus um, from Sunday school till now. And um, the prevailing culture, the people that dictate the rules, knew exactly that Bartimaeus' blindness was earned and deserved. Whether by something Bartimaeus had done, or something Bartimaeus' parents had done. He deserved his blindness. It was not a question. Bartimaeus could not participate fully in the culture because of some action that someone had taken. It was seen not as being in God's favor. Last week, John talked about wealth as a sign of God's favor. This is the the flip side of that, blindness is a sign of God's disfavor. Are there equivalents for us? I have a weekly, um, mostly weekly, um, coffee with Ron Baszler. And Ron, was, uh, Ron, Ron has been... Um, from week to week, Lynn, it's good to have you here. We're glad you, you don't follow him everywhere he goes. He goes to a lot of uh, churches. He's, he's sought after as a preacher in a lot of Lutheran congregations. And, and Ron is gracious enough to do that. And um, he said he was in a, a congregation on Longo. And because he's, he's fluent in Spanish, he will 
um, uh, speak in Spanish to Spanish congregations. He was talking to a group of Latinos um, in a church, a Latino community. He said, how many of you have heard that the poor are poor because they're lazy? And they just, they all knew it. They all knew. They'd all heard it. They'd all experienced it. It's a, it's a way of saying that's the way things are. It's a cultural statement about the status of the world, this kingdom. It's a way things are that's as ignorant as it can be. And in Indian culture, sometimes it gets translated as karma among non-Christians. Well, something happened. You deserve it. Past life, something. What goes around comes around, and it came around to you. Jesus provides an alternative reality to Bartimaeus and to our own cultural condition. Think about it. Bartimaeus' blindness isn't set in stone. Not by Jesus. Everybody else thinks it's just the way it's going to be. It's a lifelong curse. Live with it. But Bartimaeus, in Jesus' eyes, isn't in that place. In contrast to the rich person, Bartimaeus actually has nothing to lose. He's not going to walk away from this encounter with Jesus shaking his head in sorrow. He wants something that most don't think about. He simply wants to see. You and I don't think about that. We don't think about having sight. Most of us are sighted. Maybe some of you have had cataracts and some of you have had other kinds of surgeries and some of you worry about maintaining your eyesight, now it becomes a worry. But most then, that was just this man's lot. The prevailing culture, the ones who make and enforce the rules, know exactly why the man is blind, and this is what they say to him. It's a little bit like poor people are poor because they're lazy. They said to him, don't bother him. He's told to quiet down. Don't upset, upset the status quo. Don't make a spectacle. Don't make it worse than it is, Bartimaeus. Sit down, shut up. Where have you heard that? in our culture in these past few years. Where is that said all the time? To whom is it said? Stop making waves. The kingdom of God wants to know the desires of Bartimaeus' heart. And Jesus is the one to ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want 
It's not as simple a question as you might think. It's a little tricky. I must admit, when I've been asked that question, beyond some superficial things, it's really hard to answer it. Again, Jesus isn't concerned that we would ask too much, but that we would ask too little of him. So put yourself in the story and Jesus looks at you and says, so, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is here today and says, what do you want me to do for you? Think on it. What would you tell him? What will you tell him? I'll ask you later in the service to do that. To write it down. To make it concrete. To make it something. Not just vague generalities. What do you want me to do for you. A couple weeks ago, we asked you to interview people in the community, to listen to them of what they wanted. And the feedback from those surveys said this. Our neighbors would say, these three things came out of the surveys you took. People not related to this church. They want an affordable and safe place to live. They want a solution for homelessness. And they deeply want to be connected to others where not only do they get to say what they want, but they get to hear what others want. They want a conversation in this community. Bartimaeus is asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he grants his wish and he receives his sight. Now he receives sight on many levels. I think it's curious. I don't think it's a big deal, but it's, it, I don't know why they even put it in the story except that it's a uh, an interesting one, he's had a cloak on and he throws it off to go up to Jesus. And it's the beginning of shedding past things, I think. And to walk up to Jesus. He's able to physically see. So he can actually physically see where he's going. He doesn't have to be guided around by friends and bump into stuff. But he's also able to perceive. He sees beyond just mere eyesight. He has perception about what's important. How do we know? Because he gets up and follows Jesus on the way or in the way. 
Remember, that's what Christianity was first called. Before it was called Christianity, it was we were disciples, were followers in the way of Jesus. Christianity was often referred to as the way of Jesus. And then not soon after that, we were called Christians. This person can get up and follow in the way. Well, if you got what you wanted, what would it mean? If you told Jesus what you want and you got it, what would it mean? What would be the consequence? What would change? There's a cost to the kingdom. You need to know that in every encounter with Jesus, if you receive the invitation, he warns you that there's a cost to following him. This whole section is framed that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, he's headed to a cross, he's headed to his own death, and you're asked to come along. But there are little deaths along the way. He asks you to leave behind the familiar. This man takes off his cloak, and he gets up and follows Jesus in the way there's no indication he knows anybody else that's following Jesus. He goes alone. I love that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy wakes up. She's one of the children, and they've been away from Narnia for a while. And remember, Aslan, the great lion in this story, is the big Christ figure in Lewis's stories of Narnia. And remember that, that Lucy was just like Mary in these stories, just so intent on following Jesus and loved him dearly. And, and Lucy, um, they're there. They haven't seen Aslan yet, and they've had a horrible time. And in the middle of the night, she's got a, she has a vision. She sees Jesus up, and they're supposed to go up this precipice, not down into the valley. And she sees him, and he beckons her, and she just doesn't tell the others. And they go down and suffer a, a real defeat going downhill. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up, wakes her up and says, come, you've got to follow me. You've got to wake up the others and you have to come. And she goes, well, what hap- what, will they see you? And he says, it doesn't matter. Certainly not at first, but you need to follow She says that she was afraid. And then she says, but I know I wouldn't be alone, not if I was with you. Bartimaeus gets up. We don't know if anybody goes with him, but he has the perception that he needs to follow. Even if it's by himself. You're asked to venture out following Jesus. Well, what does it mean? I don't know what it means for your want. But remember, this text begins with the end of the, the, of the 45th verse, where Jesus is talking in the midst of all these different 
points and counterpoints. The, the rich man is a counterpoint to Bartimaeus. And then Jesus says this, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, you are called to serve and not be served and to give away your life as a ransom for many. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's it. It's nothing else. So what does it mean? If we become part of Jesus' answer for what our neighbors want, can we deliver? Can we leave behind the familiar, our secure space and venture out and not hold back? See, this is the challenge to being Placentia Presbyterian Church. It's what your PNC is working on. It's what your session is working on. We're not going to present to you some grand plan of what to do, but we're going to invite you to leave behind the familiar, the security you've developed all these years, all these decades, And get up and follow Jesus. Not to be served, but to serve. What would it look like for you to work for safe and affordable housing? It's what our neighbors want. And in the neighbor of Jesus, can you help? What would it look like we do with our refugee family? It's a good example. How many more times can we do that? Will we dedicate our resources, our energy, our time to being a people that care for the homeless? We've done it with his house. Can you do it again? with a different way, with a different people? And can you be a safe place for people who may not be like you at all, who may not believe what you believe, who may have different lifestyles and different values than you, can you be a safe place for them to talk with others about what they dream Will you listen? Will you be a safe community for those outside the knowledge of the kingdom of God? Hopefully we will receive new sight and new insight and be more like Bartimaeus than like the status quo. Pray with me. God, help. Help us describe what we want. In Jesus' name.